0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Greenhouse Athens, a podcast of The Greenhouse Church in Athens, Tennessee. This podcast exists to provide an in-depth, practical conversation based on the teachings from our Sunday morning gatherings. Additionally, we hope to encourage and challenge people in their walk with Christ through the testimonies of other believers. For the past few months, we've been going through the book of Acts, and on this episode, Todd Humbert, our lead pastor is giving more thoughts on Acts chapter 5 and the practice of church discipline
1: in an episode titled Trouble in the House. Hey, Greenhouse Church. Hey, world. We're looking at Acts chapter five, the first 11 verses. This displays one of the most difficult passages in the book of Acts, not because it's difficult to understand, but because it's Easy to understand about what happens. It is one of those passages uh, from which arises this issue that no one is really good at that we call church discipline, church discipline. Typically, when you sign up to be a member of the body of Christ, you want to follow him. Or when you sign up to be a minister of the gospel of Christ and you want to help others follow him, church discipline isn't really high on your list of things. You don't necessarily want to be the person that helps people address sin in their lives so that they grow in Christ. But I'm going to tell you, this is one of the most important things we as a church can do if if uh, we really believe what Scripture says about um, about our growth in Him, about our love for Him, then we're we are going to know that that Titus chapter two says that the grace of God has appeared, verse 11, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Yes, we love the word grace. Yes, we love the word salvation. Verse 12 goes on to say what grace and what salvation does. It says, it trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled or self-disciplined upright and godly lives in this present age, waiting for the blessed hope and appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So self-control or self-discipline is the best kind of church discipline. It's where you and Jesus get together in the prayer closet, in the mirror of His Word. You look through the window of the Word to the glory of God, and your life becomes conformed to Him. That is what the grace of God does in your life. That is what salvation does in your life. It is moving you toward the image of Christ. So when we look at Acts chapter 5, we see two people that are confronted, Ananias and Sapphira. And remember, con- to confront someone is to help conform them to the image of Christ. So Ananias and Sapphira, if you read this story well, they put on this religious showmanship. You know, they they gave part of what they sold to the church. Um, they lied about it. And so it, on the surface, when you read Acts chapter 5, you might think, okay, this is about uh, the idolatry of greed or the idolatry of covetousness, and certainly that's at play here, but that's a symptom. Or you might look at it and say, well, that they're dishonest people, and that certainly is at play here, and it's a core issue, but their dishonesty surrounds this religious showmanship. They're trying to self- elevate themselves in the eyes of others so people think really well of them and praise them. So they don't want the glory to go to God, the honor and praise to go to God. They want the honor and praise to go to them. And so, but they are confronted. Peter Confronts them, the church confronts them in their sin. You would think that people watching are going to see this uh, grand act of generosity and say, Wow, look at Ananias and Sapphira. They gave all this money to the church. But Peter, given special insight by the Holy Spirit, is able to see into the heart and then asks them the question, Why did you do this? how could you contrive this deed in your heart? So we understand that to confront someone is to help conform them to Christ. And when Peter when Peter confronts, he is confronting with a question at first. And I think that's the first step we learned on Sunday, that confrontation starts with a question. It starts with seeking understanding, finding out where this person is in life and what is going on in their life and, and seeing evidence of God's grace or sin or lies or whatever is happening in their life. We are Seeking to, as a learner, to understand what's happening in their life, but then it quickly moves to the courageousness of of calling them out in their disobedience. So uh, a confront uh, confrontation uh, doesn't just. Um, start with a question but it seeks at transformation and it aims at the heart so paul or excuse me peter mentions their heart twice that their heart's not right with god even though he addresses their behavior he aims at their heart at reminding their heart of who christ is and what he's done for them and the and the available power of the holy spirit to transform them and if you notice when you read through this text acts chapter 5 there was no Repentance. There was no, oh, I'm guilty. Um, and and maybe you might say, well, there wasn't time for that. But if we compare this with Acts eight nineteen, when when um, Peter confronts a guy named Simon for wanting to to use uh, God for his own means, he was repentant. And, but you don't see that in Ananias and Sapphira, and and they experience what some might call immediate judgment. Maybe it was just. Um, you know, uh, the the human response to being called out in sin and the stress of, of what was happening. But either way, God shows very early on that he does not want spiritual showmanship in the body of Christ. No matter if people are giving money, no matter if people are are praying or leading music or or preaching like me, or, or no matter what it is, our purpose is to always give glory to God and to point people to Jesus. And that's one of the core values of Greenhouse and really the core value of Scripture is that Jesus' name be lifted above every name, even our name. Even if Greenhouse isn't mentioned as hard as I... Uh, have a hard time with that. Or even if my name isn't mentioned, we want Jesus's name to be mentioned. Act, uh, Amos chapter 5 says this, um, I hate your feasts. I don't take delight in your assemblies. Uh, you, you know, you can do all these religious things in verse 22, but but I, I don't look at them. Uh, you know, verse 23 in Amos 5, take away the noise of your songs. I, I'm not going to listen, but here's what I want from you, my people. Let justice roll down like waters. Love your neighbor. Have supreme allegiance to Christ, and let righteousness flow like an ever-flowing stream. Be right with your neighbor. See, all of our religious duties or offerings aren't going to be um, aren't going to be uh, anything in the sight of God if we're not loving our neighbor if we're not caring for, if we're not caring for others. Now, what's cool about this passage in Acts chapter five, is you see, it's sandwiched between the miracle of radical generosity at the end of chapter four and in 512, uh, the radical, uh, excuse me, the miracle of physical healings as in both of these are a way of giving credibility to proclaiming the gospel. So it, our whole series has been, it's not over it's not over. It, when Christ was crucified, raised again, and ascended, it's not over. He gave the commission to the church. Even though there's trouble in the house, even though there's division right here with Ananias and Sapphira, it's not over. The gospel is still moving forward. So folks, you can take a lot of joy and a lot of hope that no matter what the church may face, no matter what you as an individual may face, you may know that the gospel is still moving forward. Now, Acts chapter 5 gives us this, uh, this issue that we see thread throughout the New Testament, really the whole uh, Bible but this issue of church discipline and w- when I say uh, church discipline it, it basically church discipline ca- can be um, categorized in a couple different ways but basically what it is is it's um, it's our uh, willingness to confront others in order for them to become all that God wants them to be. Um, it's, it's our willingness to keep one another accountable, to encourage one another toward Christ. And, and you see this in scriptures like, you know, uh, Hebrews 3, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of of sin, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So you see these sort of informal um, ways of of uh, practicing church discipline, or like Galatians 1, you know, if, if anybody's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, you who are mature in Christ, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, but keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Or another passage of informal uh, church discipline is let us consider how to stir one another up uh, in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Uh, stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. So, there's something about meeting together that helps us not be hardened by sin, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another daily, all the more as you see the capital D day drawing near the day of Christ coming back. So, we have this sort of informal discipline when we just Uh, sit around a table when we sit within church when we sit within our community groups when we meeting with our mentors or mentees and and we're just saying hey can can you explain this to me what's going on here i've noticed this pattern or habit or saying or thing in your life and 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 god has put the body together for such a way that we keep one another encouraged and accountable as we are on mission with christ but then you you sort of move you see uh, in scripture there's a move from informal uh Church discipline to formal church discipline, and by the way, the best discipline I think I've already said this is self discipline. When we get in the Word ourselves and God and His Spirit, you, me, and, and Jesus, right here. You know, you and Jesus uh, working things out in your prayer closet and your, your devotional time. It's so important. But then sometimes we get to a place of formal church discipline where where a person's sin is so obvious is so obstinate, meaning it's kind of stubborn, uh, you know, it's, it's, and then it's ongoing that it has to be, it has to be addressed. It's, it, it, there's a refusal to, to, uh, turn from sin. And so in that, in that place, you step into what the church, and I'll be honest, what I, don't really do well. We issue wisdom and warnings to those who are walking in sin. And you see this all throughout the scripture. I can, I can give you a, a few here. You see it in uh, 1 Timothy 1.20, uh, where Paul writes to Timothy and he says, hey, listen, I've, I've handed uh, Hamanas and Alexander over to Satan so they learn not to blaspheme they've made shipwreck of people's faith they are causing people to stumble into sin and i I've, I've handed them over to satan meaning that i have i have kept them from the lord's table from communion i have kept them from the fellowship of the church so that they will be saved that's that's what he says here in 1 corinthians 5 where someone is participating in this uh, egregious sexual activity Outside of marriage and outside of the boundary lines of even what's acceptable in the Greek and pagan culture, and they're bragging about it in the church in one Corinthians five, and he says this to the to the church, not just to the leaders, but the church says you've got to keep this guy accountable. Uh, We've got to keep this guy accountable. Even the, the sort of conversation you need to have with this person is to. To call them back to Christ, to to um, to have redemptive conversations for them to repent, and, and Paul encouraged the church at that time to uh, to call this person out, and if need be, to purge the evil person from among you. Verse thirteen says, "For," uh, and he he goes on and lets us know throughout Scripture that confrontation is for restoration. This is not so that someone will die in their sin and, and this is not punitive justice this is restorative justice where we teach the church what is holiness and how someone in in being held accountable can come back to Christ for their own good for the good of their family for the good of the church and for the good of the mission in the world that's what church discipline is and what's really cool is you see this come full circle which you don't always see in church discipline just it's kind of a sad case that not everybody listens to wisdom not everybody listens to warnings, but what is cool in 1 Corinthians 5 is that you see it come first full circle in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, where they did listen to wisdom. They did listen to warnings. They did repent, turn from their sin to Christ. They brought all their brokenness to Jesus. He forgave them, and He restored them, and the church body restored them too. It's this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. The more explicit passage on church discipline comes to us in Matthew 18, which we looked at on Sunday, but Matthew 18 lets us know that if someone, Is caught in a sin, then you, Christian, not just church leader, but you, Christian, go and tell him his fault. Keep the circle small, okay? Keep the circle small, just you and him. Between you and him alone, it says, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Your brother is brought back from that sinful, obstinate, obvious, unrepentant, ongoing lifestyle. Okay, verse 16, but if he doesn't listen, then bring a couple along with you, that the charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. This this hinges on or goes back to Old Testament times where there would be something brought before the council or the, the judges of the Old Testament. They had to have two or three witnesses. It wasn't just uh, one person who's saying, hey, I believe this guy did this. And, um, and then everybody listens to that single one person versus one person. No, but there's the evidence of two or three witnesses. There's, there's something going on that's uh, obvious to the community. Two or three witnesses come alongside that person in verse 16 and, and again, address the sin in the person. Now, what's interesting about this is that this isn't just uh, to individual church members. This is also for church leaders. So if you turn to um, 1 Timothy chapter 5, you're going to see that leaders are not exempt from being held accountable. Uh, it, it says in 1 uh, Timothy 5, nine nineteen, 19, it says, don't admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So maybe there's two or three people in the church and they say, hey, uh, Elder Todd's been doing this and I've seen him in the community doing this and I've seen him doing that. And and, and so they they have a charge against him. And, and in verse 20, it says what to do for elders, for church leaders, as for those who persist in sin. So let's say your church leader, Todd, or your church, one of your church leaders is persisting in sin. It says, rebuke them in the presence of all. Call them out on their sin in everyone's presence so that, listen to this, so that the rest may stand in fear, so that the rest may have this high regard and high respect for pursuing Christ and his word and his his mission in the world. So church leaders are not exempt from this. So if you ever encounter a church leader who dismisses your accountability to that person, then then you might need to seek a new, new leader. Now, there may be um, an illegitimate charge against a church leader or an illegitimate uh, accusation against a church leader—that's that's not true. That that needs to be discussed, and uh, maybe a, a judgment of an attitude or an action that has to be set in context and understanding. That's one thing. But when there is an obstinate, obvious, ongoing pattern of sin in the life of any believer, including a church leader, it needs to be held accountable. So let's go back to um, Matthew eighteen. Matthew eighteen. Matthew eighteen says that if they do not listen to one. Keep the circle small. Two, getting two or three alone. They don't listen. Then, then tell it to the church. Now, the question is: Is this the whole church? Is this the church leaders? Is this is the church elders. And that's where I would say this goes from informal discipline, believers keeping believers accountable, to formal discipline, where the um, church leaders, the church elders, take on the um, the restorative. Discipline for the church for for that individual. So the church leaders issue some warnings. Get involved, and the, what we see in scripture, there's not a one size fits all uh, process to church discipline. You see different things happening. Like you know, there's no one size fits all. You see, you know. Um, Titus 2.11 says rebuke them sharply. You know, 2 Timothy 4.2 says to rebuke and to reprove with complete patience and teaching. And Titus 2.15 says to rebuke and exhort with all authority. And Titus 3.10 says for a person who stirs up division after warning them once or twice. So it says once or twice there. It doesn't say three times like it does here in Matthew. After warning them once or twice, then have nothing more to do with that person, knowing that such a person who stirs up division and and quarreling is warped and sinful and self-condemned. So you you see this sort of, uh, there's not a one-size-fits-all category. You have to uh, take into consideration the, the different variables in people's lives and and what's happening you know how young is this person in the faith or are they mature in the faith what sort of family history you know there's a lot to there's a lot to consider when when keeping someone accountable is there an addiction issue going on here that we need further help on is there you know so there's um is there any evidence of repentance at all even if it's slowly it's I, i don't think it's just one and done bam You know, and and you're apt, you know, but here it says, if they refuse to listen, Back in Matthew 18, if they refuse to listen after keeping the circle small, they don't listen, two or three, they don't listen, they refuse to listen, tell it to the church. The leaders get involved. And then there's probably some sort of segment of the church that also gets involved. Some people say it's it's good to tell the whole church, uh, church members, not just church attenders, but church members, so that the church can, can extend love, can extend redemptive conversations, can extend intercessory prayer. So that's one option. Or another option is just tell it to to, uh, church leadership, and the church leadership tries to issue warnings and give wisdom and and deal with that person. And then it goes on to say, if they don't believe you, if they don't listen to you, if they still choose to follow after Satan and his lies and and a sinful lifestyle, treat that person as a Gentile or tax collector. Basically, treat that person not in a casual manner, but as a person who needs Christ. See that person as someone that you are trying to win over to Christ, that your future involvement in their life is seeing them as someone whose heart needs to be converted to Jesus, where they are surrendering to Him as King Jesus on earth. And that's where we get these kind of strange scriptures in 18 and 19. It says that whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And this is in the context of church discipline that that we are we are calling people to account to come back to Christ for their own good for the good of the church for the good of God's mission in the world and and uh, and it's not something that just an individual does it's something that as it says here two or three of you agree on earth about anything that would be done for them by my father in heaven so there has to be there there's a community approach to someone living an obstinate obvious ongoing, unrepentant sin. And so, again, this is something that the church has not done very well at, especially the Western church, because in the Western world of the United States, we're very individualistic. You know, I get my life. You've got your life. You don't tell me what to do. I won't tell you what to do. You can't judge me. I can't judge you. That's not what's at play here, okay? The church are members of one another. And the Bible says that when one suffers, they all suffer. Uh, So we keep each other accountable. You keep me accountable. I keep you accountable. We keep each other accountable so that we can live up to the potential that God has given us in Christ so that we fulfill our purpose in this generation and so that God's name is glorified. And if we really love people, church, if we really love people, People, we won't ignore their shortcomings and say, "eh, that's just no big deal." And I understand that there's some heels not to die on. You know, there's there's some things we we just overlook, like a, a child learning to walk. You know, they, they fall down or, or they spilled the milk on the table. There's some things we overlook for the big picture things. You know, but but when we see those big picture items in someone's life, we don't just leave them to suffer in their own sin we approach them with the gospel with the with the humility of Jesus where we wash their feet we literally serve them by telling them the truth in love after listening to what's going on we tell them the truth in love so that they can fulfill their purpose for God in this generation and the last thing i want to say about this confrontation is confrontation serves to confirm someone's faith in Christ. Just like we see in 1 Corinthians 5, when Paul confronts this arrogant person in their sin, this obvious, obstinate, ongoing sin, just like uh, in 1 Corinthians 5, and we see them repent, we see them turn back to Christ and take hold of the gospel truths of uh, forgiveness in Jesus and restoration and that grace doesn't just forgive, but transforms. When we see that happening in 2 Corinthians 2 and him being restored to the the fellowship of the body of Christ, we see see confirmation of that person's salvation. So that's another purpose of confrontation. Confrontation serves for someone to have confirmation of their salvation that when they have the grace of God living in them to not live in their sin they they are th- there's confirmation that they truly know Christ but for those who continue in sin the bible gives no assurance of their salvation now let me be gentle here because we all have things that we're going to struggle with until we get to heaven There's a difference between struggling with sin and fighting to overcome and someone who just embraces sin. There's no struggle there. And the person who embraces sin and just lives in ongoing, obvious, obstinate, unrepentant sin, there's no assurance that the grace of God has actually transformed their heart and that they know Christ. So, uh, sadly, we cannot give assurance, or the Bible gives no assurance of salvation to that person. Now, it could be in the divine discipline of God. He says, hey, my child, that's far enough. You're coming home. Perhaps like he did in Acts chapter 5, or he did, did in 1 Corinthians 11, when people were drinking and eating at the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. It says, some have gotten sick and died. So, he can do that. But Scripture gives us no assurance that a person who lives knowingly in unrepentant sin knows Christ. Since the grace of God, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, the grace of God doesn't just forgive someone, but it trains us to deny ungodliness and worldly passions as it says in Titus 2.11. Thanks for joining us for this podcast. I hope also you are taking advantage of the 100-day challenge that we have put out on the NYCG playlist on uh, YouTube for us to dive more deeply into the Word of God this year. I realize that the topic of today's podcast and message this past week has been um, very difficult. So if you have any questions, please reach out to us. Please email me at todd at thegreenhousehappens.com or um, reach out to us on Sunday about issues that that, uh, you have or any questions that you may have with this content. Thanks a lot. Have a great day and may the Lord bless his people with purity and integrity as we follow Christ and may his grace transform us, our hearts, our minds to be conformed to Jesus. Have a great day.
0: You can find the link to Sunday's message along with the link to our page on the Church Center app in the show notes. We're currently going through something we're calling the 100-Day Puzzle Challenge, where we are watching one Bible Project video for 100 days to help us gain understanding of the narrative of Scripture. The link for this playlist will be in the show notes as well. If you have any questions, please send us a message on Instagram or Facebook at The Greenhouse Athens. We'd love to connect with you.